last week, I looked at the last of the romance writers, Jennifer Cruzy, who have really shaped me. From this week on, I'll be looking at fewer genre novels and some more modern literary novelists whose work has lingered with me. The first is Lionel Shriver. I've only read three of her novels and some of her essays, and I'll be honest, I'm not really a great rereader of her work. Her prose is certainly memorable, mainly for its acerbity and attack, as well as characterisation that explores the shadier aspects of apparently neat middle-class lives. Shriver's books are neither comfortable nor comforting. That said, I think the best-selling We Need to Talk About Kevin lingers with me because it roused such intensity, such fury, when my book group read it. Warning. Spoilers ahead. If you haven't read the book or seen the movie but are contemplating doing either, this may not be the place for you. It's impossible to talk about this book without disclosing the full plot. The book came out in 2003. We were living in Brighton in a beautiful flat, which sadly was now, with the arrival of Child 2, too small for us. We were facing the need to move and had some big questions to answer. My husband was commuting up to London daily, which was exhausting and expensive. I was working in a school where teacher salaries were sacrificed as part of the independent school arms race to improve facilities. The school was investing in astroturf, converting old squash courts into a fancy drama studio and building from scratch a very swizzy sixth form boarding house. But that meant, oh dear, teachers' salaries would be frozen for three years. So, there we were, in limbo, with a six-year-old and an under-one navigating being parents, losing sight of ourselves and each other thanks to long working days, hours spent on trains, and in between trying to fulfil the needs of the small people that we were responsible for. Peter bought We Need to Talk About Kevin and read it fast on the train, then passed it on to me straight away wanting to know what I thought of it. So I read it and grimaced. But I also smiled wryly. There was much about Eva that I recognised, not just in myself, but in quite a few of the working women I knew who had become, become mothers relatively late. I love an epistolary novel. One of the books that set me on my path to an English degree was Pamela by Samuel Richardson, one of the many, to quote, respectable books that I read when I was meant to be hoovering up details about cirques, hanging valleys, roche moutonnet and lateral moraines. We Need to Talk About Kevin is an exemplar of the genre, a collection of letters written by Ava Kachadurian to her estranged husband Franklin over the course of five months between November 2000 and April 2001. Ava is a compelling correspondent. It feels strange, though, that there is no back and forth, no reply at all from Franklin, and it is almost immediately apparent that something cataclysmic has happened to Ava and her family. But her letters are rich, absorbing, intimate, angry, and for me, mesmerising. The cataclysm is revealed early in the book. It emerges that in April 1999, Kevin took a crossbow to school where he murdered a teacher and seven other students. And right from the start of the book, Ava explores her ambivalence and uncertainty about motherhood, the demands and expectations of the American model of family, the conformity expected of men and women, the roles they are meant to embody. 
In tinkering about the internet as part of this week's podcast, I came across a bizarre review of the film, made in 2011, released more widely in 2012, published on the World Socialist website, which criticised both the book and the film for their failure to engage with the social aspects of gun violence and school shootings in the US. Full disclosure, I haven't seen the film. I saw trailers, but having read the book, I did not want to see it brought to life, however well acted it was. And having read the book more than once, I was baffled by the review, which accused both book and film of avoiding the social problem of school shooting. The reviewer accuses both the filmmaker, the Scottish director Lynn Ramsey, and Shriver herself of focusing excessively on the relationship between Eva and Kevin, Eva's sense of guilt, shame and responsibility, and ignoring the social and historical order that has made America the country with the highest number of school shootings by a horribly extraordinary margin. It is worth noting that according to Wise Voter website, there have been 333 school shootings worldwide, of which 288 have taken place in the US. I would argue that the book, and probably the film since Shriver admired it and commented on how accurately it reflected the novel, are both about numerous social and historical aspects of the US. It's just the reviewer didn't recognise them. Eva's letters to Franklin explore exactly what the World Socialist Reviewer is looking for, the social and historical conditions that make the US what it is. These are embodied in the character of Franklin. At least part of the fascination of the book is the contrast between Eva and her husband. In these increasingly partisan times, it is hard to imagine a time where a woman as well-travelled and liberal as Eva, clearly an East Coast elitist and committed Democrat, could have fallen so deeply for a good old patriot and Republican as Franklin appears to be. I can't help feeling that the male reviewer, who praises Gus Van Sant's 2003 movie Elephant, based somewhat on the Columbine shootings, as was We Need to Talk About Kevin, simply didn't understand the film or the book. There are two filters. First, the feminine perspective of both the author and the director, and secondly, the fact that Shriver and Ramsey may have been looking at the issue of school shootings from a non-US perspective. Shriver is interesting because although she's American, she has lived in the UK since 1999. Like Ava Kachadurian, she is well-travelled, sophisticated and a contrarian. This comes across powerfully throughout the book and I think was one of the chief causes of disagreement when we came to read Kevin for the book group I joined when I moved to Brussels in 2004. Ava expresses ideas that are deeply uncomfortable, difficult to deal with, challenging and controversial. Given Shriver's more recent writings and appearances, it seems that she too is ready to go against the liberal flow. She has apparently written to Ron DeSantis, praising aspects of his governorship of Florida, including his handling of COVID and his approaches to critical race theory and aspects of gender identity politics. She was also a vocal supporter of Brexit. Her perspective on the US itself is critical and much of we need to talk about Kevin is a not so veiled attack on American exceptionalism. The biggest issue identified in we need to talk about Kevin is the issue of motherhood. 
Here, Shriver again stands out. She has chosen not to have children, which I think was one of the sources of deep offence taken by some of the book club members. How dare she appropriate motherhood, which I think both at the time and now seems to me a ridiculous standpoint as any other accusation of appropriation when it comes to fiction. The whole point for any of us engaged in writing and reading fiction is to imagine the unimaginable to explore experiences that we are unable to have because we live in our time, our place, our space. If we are too afraid of appropriation, we undermine the essence of fiction, which is to put ourselves in the shoes and lives of others, to see in our mind's eye things that are not visible or comprehensible except through the lens of fiction. So first, there was Shriver exploring the nature of motherhood without having experienced it. And second was the way in which she did it. Over and over during that evening in Brussels, my fellow readers were horrified and aghast at the negativity and lack of love demonstrated by Ava towards Kevin. She is undeniably a pretty terrible mother. But equally, Kevin is undeniably a really difficult and terrible kid. Additionally, Franklin simply cannot see that both the people that he purports to love most in the world are hurting each other over and over and suffering acutely. The book is a slow motion car crash for the reader, or at least that's the way I remember it, as Ava piles on detail after detail of her life, of her thoughts, of her world now and her world as it used to be, on the moments where she fails Kevin and where Kevin provokes her beyond endurance. There is a question mark over Ava's maternal behaviour because she and Franklin do have a daughter, Celia, who is a delightful baby and then a young, delightful young girl. When Franklin sees Ava with Celia, he accuses his wife of favouritism, of pushing Kevin still further away. But the negativ negativity and damage had already been done. As the book builds towards its final moments of revelation, it is clear that the battle, the struggle, is between Eva and her son. It was ever thus, and apparently it will continue. For Kevin, unlike many other school shooters, does not kill himself or create a situation in which he will be killed. Eva visits him regularly, and one of the features of the book is how it follows their relationship following the mass murder. By the end of the novel, Kevin, who has been in a juvenile correctional facility, is about to move, at the age of 18, to a full adult prison. And gradually we come to realise that Franklin and Celia were also killed by Kevin as part of his spree and his ultimate punishment of his mother. In destroying his own future, his family, his every relationship, Kevin has doomed both Ava and himself to a future where they are bound together. I think one of the things that agitated us all so much at our book group that evening was the removal of the formal social mask, the way that Shriver strips away niceties and the framework of expectations that surround both the act of being a woman and the act of being a mother. And I use the word act intentionally. We're performative even when we're on our own with our offspring. We want to be a certain way before them. And Ava at this stage, as she writes to Franklin during the winter of 2000, has nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, and no performance left to give. 
all that she has left in the wreckage of her life is Kevin. In the intervening years since the book was published and then again in the decade plus since the film, there have been still more terrible shootings, Sandy Hook, Uvalde, Parkland in Florida, and Susan Claybold, mother of Dylan, one of the Columbine perpetrators, has written a book and has begun campaigning for better understanding of teenage depression and suicidal ideation. She's been interviewed on TV and for documentaries. Alongside this, we have made incredible strides in understanding aspects of the brain and our genes that may lead people to behave in certain ways and choose certain paths. I wonder if a book group met now to discuss this particular book, especially a group where nearly all members were mothers, whether that conversation would still be so heated, so defensive, so divided. The relationship we see between Kevin and Ava is a fictional construct, but Shriver's art is to make it seem viable, plausible, believable. Shriver was commenting not so much on school shootings as on more basic fundamental questions. Should I be a mother? If I were to become a mother, what sort of mother would I be? How should we raise our children? What sacrifices would we have to make to build our families? These questions in the intervening 20 years since the book was published have in no way been adequately addressed or answered by society. In most families, women still do the bulk of the heavy lifting when it comes to raising children, domestic administration and logistics, home management. And when things go wrong, it is still women who by and large are blamed even if and when they themselves are the direct victims of their children's actions. Even though we know that each one of us is an individual with a stupendously complex and unique cocktail of responses to our genes, our environments and our peers. Some years ago, around the time that Susan Claybold published her book, my eldest son, Sebi, composed a song which makes uneasy listening called Susan, and based on the Columbine boys. It seems fitting to end this episode with Susan, a song which reminded me then and now of We Need to Talk About Kevin. Join me next week for a look at one of Shakespeare's most performed and best-loved plays, A Midsummer Night's Dream. What is a gather in my dreams? I beg for heaven in my sleep. I see the hole in everything. I wish that that was that TV. Playing video games with your very best buddy. See the magazine, now your reputation's clean. Hey mama, stop looking for answers. This was a natural disaster. You don't know how, you don't know how close you came to never see me, to never see me again. But now I'm on the news. You know I Before your limbs were twisted
Yes, sir.